Welcome to Kuden, the radio show and podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. Hosted by Sheehan Jeffrey Miller and Shidoshi Eric White. Sheehan Miller is a 13th degree black belt and master instructor of Warrior Concepts International in Sunbury, Pennsylvania. Shidoshi Miller's martial arts career spans over 30 years and has taken him around the world to train with some of the world's best martial arts masters. Shidoshi Eric White has been a student of Sheehan Miller's for over a decade. Together, they will answer your questions, discuss techniques, history, and current issues important to you, the self-defense-minded citizen and the practicing martial artist. Submit your questions by email to warriorc at warrior-concepts-online.com. Welcome, everybody, to this next episode of KUDEN. Great to have you with us. I'm Eric White, joined by Jeffrey Miller, and uh, we also have a special guest with us today who just last week attended uh, the spring camp at the dojo in Pennsylvania. And so we have uh, Lee on with us. Lee, is uh, your last name Davis? Is that right? That is correct. Okay. It's amazing what you can find out on Facebook. I've been stalking. That's, that's what he's going by this week. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we'll we'll kind of catch up here a bit from uh, Lee. I'm, I'm really excited to hear from him as kind of the student experience from camp. But before we get that started, uh, sir, I'd like to really hear uh, about how uh, how camp went. Sadly, I was not there. Well, uh, so what's 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 unusual? Uh, anyway, um, ah, so, yes. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Um, other than camera uh, problems that we had on Friday and Saturday, as in, like, um, we didn't have one. Uh, so now <laughs> I have to uh, redo some of those lessons in, uh, like, Shinobi Kai class to mm. get them on video for folks. Um, wow. Uh, well, it, it was good. Good for uh, Shinobi a, Kai students. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, uh, the the whole uh, of Saturday with the, uh, uh, the power uh, development stuff, uh, really, I mean, Leo tested this. We did some really boring stuff. I mean, we only worked on three techniques the entire day. Uh, we worked on a lead punch, uh, a palm-up knife hand, or omote shito, and omote gyaku, or the outside, uh, people translate it as the outside wrist twist or wrist reversal, which is a bad translation. But um, So that's what we did, but we, we isolated and identified um, uh, specific points that, uh, you know, get this thing right. You don't have to apply more energy or effort or strength or whatever, and uh, the technique uh, just gets more powerful. So, um, hmm. yeah, it was good. And we had uh, we had several last-minute cancellations because of family issues and all kinds of things. So we had, I think we had five people each day. Uh, we had to replace Lee on Sunday because uh, the school district wouldn't give him more than a, uh, one day off. I offered to write a note saying he was too well to attend, but he turned me down. So, anyway, I try. You know, I try to help my students. What can I say? Um, but from my perspective, it was it was good. Um, other than you know, I'd, I'd like to see more people at training. But I think the going trend now is, uh, you know, if I can sit on my butt and listen to stuff like this or watch YouTube videos or whatever, I, I think attendance is down everywhere just because it's just hmm. it's easier. And uh, right. Lee said something on Saturday. I'm going to let him address that. But he said something on Saturday about um, how much information people get during these things, and they have absolutely no clue how much more they would get 
um, in the dojo. Again, I'll let him address that because he had some kind of a time frame uh, that he got more in, but, you know, uh, we'll let him do his thing. So, anyway, um, actually, before we even do the whole what did Lee get out of the weekend, I'd really like to get a little bit more about Lee's background because um, Lee's been on – before we even did Kuden or made it this live thing, um, I think if if not all of them, he's made most of my uh, free webinars and and all that stuff. So hmm. he's been like lurking in the background or in the shadows or whatever for a long time. And after meeting him face to face for the first time, now I know why. But anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, but you know somebody shows up and they're quiet and um, you know they. He, he's, uh, well, I don't know how he is in his personal life, but online and whatnot, he's very quiet, and, you know, he'll make a comment here or there, but he shows up for a seminar and slaps on a black belt and then steps out there and, you know, then, see, then I have to expect great things. Um, mm. But at the same time, you know, uh, the only thing I, I want to add that kind of links the two is uh, Lee won the Long Distance Award this time, took it from Sam Pagano, who normally, uh, well, he still does, drives down from Niagara Falls, New York. So it's at least hmm. a six-hour drive for Sam, um, and that's with, like, no P-stops and stuff like that, right? <laughs> yeah. um, Lee had him beat by a long shot this time. So I think his was 18 hours or something like that, um, 14 yeah. to 18 hours or, yeah, something like that. So um, I'd like to get a little bit more about his background because we didn't get a chance to chat a whole lot about Lee um, over the weekend. So how the hell, who gave you a black belt? for God's sake. No, no, I didn't want to start that way. Uh, (laughs) So why don't you just start by telling everybody who you are and how long you've been training and what your martial arts background is, if it extends beyond uh, ninjutsu or budo taijutsu or whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, You know, where'd you come from? What's you doing? Uh, Hey, guys, I'm uh, uh, Lee Davis, and I started off in Columbus, Georgia. I haven't had any previous uh, martial arts background, although I did go to a couple of um, other, like the karate dojo or whatever, taekwondo, way back in the day, because I was looking for something. I just couldn't find it. So I didn't actually take any classes. I just went and visited and said, oh, well, thank you very much for your time. Um, (laughs) But anyway. Well, at least you're (laughs) polite. Yeah. Well, I say this now. I don't know how I was back then. Um, oh, fair enough. Right. Personal, personally, I am. Uh, I mean, if you were to if you were to label me, um, I, I I claim introversion, um, which is just basically you get your you get your social energy from being not social. If that even makes sense, by uh, <laughs> you know spending time alone and in, in, in small circles. I like small circles and small groups. Um, I want to uh, uh, put a disclaimer. Trees. What's that? Usually ferns and trees. Yes, yes, they're the best friends. That's right. <clears throat> um, uh, I want to put a disclaimer in there that uh, you've just made training feel so much at home that I felt like I could just, uh, uh, you know, relax and be myself. So that's probably where you might see a disconnect because um, I like to think that I'm a little discerning when I uh, talk online or in other ways that you can't tell connotations, things like that. <clears throat> but anyway, the uh, I started off with Chris Weekly down in Columbus, Georgia, um, him and his wife, Debbie, um, for many years. I think I was about 12 years old when I first started and um, wow. just didn't 
like I, I couldn't. Uh, yeah, and it, it, well, the funny thing is that at the time I, I was like, man, I wish I was younger. To have started up, started up in it. But uh, uh, it's uh, it's been a interesting evolution, to say the least. Awesome. All right. And what do you do for a living? I am what's known as a paraeducator. I think uh, uh, years ago they called it a teacher's aide. Hmm. Okay. Um, in, in the uh, in the Which special much, needs um, department. Much more understandable than the fancy word. Well, yeah. <laughs> I just haven't heard that. The teacher, I haven't heard the teacher's aide label be used like any time, like in the past ten years. Like I haven't even heard it used. But I thought, you know, you asked me twice about it, and I thought maybe I haven't been explaining it right. So teacher's aide is another good way to put it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, oh, that's, that's, that's pretty that's much what I do. Say <laughs> so again? I said that's it? That's all you got? As far as where, uh, my profession? Yeah, no. Uh, uh, when did you uh, earn your black belt? I earned... Um, I earned my black belt when I was at Georgia Southwestern State University in Americus, Georgia. And I wanted to. I was. I was emailing back and forth with Debbie, um, the uh, that I wanted to start up a training group, and I wanted to do that because I mean, mostly selfish reasons. I didn't. There wasn't anything there, and so I guess I was the only one that could could do anything. Right. <clears throat> and so we were going back and forth, and I was going to start that. And she said, she basically through email, she says, "Well, you deserve it anyway. So here you go." Um, I think I purchased my black belt. Um. You know, yeah, it it uh, it, it was very informal. Okay, um, but it was but it wasn't a McDojo uh, purchase of a black belt, right? What they, do you mean? They, they thought you they thought you earned it. That, that's yes, the yes. Part, the the, right? the the rank the rank was given. It's just that I knew that a, a like like the picture I took of your of your framed uh, words where I knew that the belt wasn't necessarily the thing. The thing was the fact that I have been trusted enough and have my, I guess, my skill level at the time <clears throat> was okay. was at a place where she could she could say that that, that was uh, uh, my rank. Okay, and you have a military background as well. Yes, sir. I was in the Navy for 96 to 99 uh, down in Mayport, Florida. <clears throat> Mayport, Florida. Well, at least it was someplace surrounded by ocean if you were in the Navy. Well, yes, and there are play, there are jobs in the Navy that are not <laughs> that that are nowhere near water, absolutely, and that surprises a lot of people. Yep, yes, I'm sure there's people listening to this now, or will be listening to the recording. That after my statement, they would have gone, "Well, duh," and I would say, "Then you've never been around uh, the military people or the Navy." Mm-hmm. Yep, I had I had people in boot camp that purposely chose to go into the Navy because they didn't know how to swim. Wow. Well, somebody has to have a goal. You know. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah, fair enough. <coughs> All right. So, uh, I don't know. Um, Eric, what kind of questions do you have? Do you have any other questions before you want to start interrogating him about the weekend? Ah, well, I was just going to, I was going to ask, um, you know, what was, what, what kind of initially drew you to, uh, practice ninjutsu and how has that changed? Uh, from where you take your training today, and maybe even after this weekend. 
Mm. Oh, good question. That's um, well, I started off because I really liked Leonardo from the Teenage Mutant <laughs> okay, right Ninja Turtles. Remember, dude, um, he was twelve. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yep. It was. It was it, I I remember seeing the cartoon once, and it was. I was somewhere else. I didn't even know what it was. I forgot the name of it, but it stuck in my head how cool that was. Sure. And um, we uh, we passed by uh, uh, Chris's dojo, and it, all it was was a big banner. It was a black banner with yellow words that says Ninjutsu Self Defense. And um, I don't know if anyone if anyone's in the Budokan, uh, uh understands the that Chris, uh, Chris uh, got his training from Bud Malmstrom, mm. yep. and so they uh, they he I think he used a similar uh, uh, color scheme, but that's all it says. Ninjutsu yeah. Self Defense. And so I saw mm. that and. Like my face glued to the side of the car while it, while we passed it, and uh, we had to. I, I just had to go there, so that's where it all began. But it it morphed you know, into. I'm going um, to interject yeah. here something for just a quick second, and this is why yeah. we had people coming to us in droves in the '80s, and where people are trying to talk people into coming mm-hmm. into classes now. Back mm-hmm. then, the the description was very simple because we were actually trying to position ourselves as being different than mainstream martial arts. So the banner, which is very much like mindset, right? It was needed to uh, self-defense, mindset, um, uh, self-protection, and personal development training, right? So it speaks to people. It didn't say Bujinkan needed to or Bujinkan Ninpo Taijutsu or Bujinkan Budo Taijutsu, stuff that the average person can't pronounce, let alone know what it means, mm-hmm. right? So in an attempt to be a purist these days, people are actually talking people out of coming to their place because they have no clue what it is. It's so it's so different. I mean, um, we, we've had people in our area uh, that have come and gone. And I think one of the biggest reasons is that the, the name of the dojo, right, um, is Japanese, which in and of itself is not a bad thing. But their their flyer or brochure is just loaded with the, I trained with this teacher, and he trained with this person who was a descendant of, and it goes back through all of these people. And they're all Japanese names from this Japanese name city in Japan. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. And it, so it's, it's, not, it's mostly it's features and not benefits anyway, right? So you're telling them you're giving people data but not reasons to train or things that make you different. Um, but it doesn't. The, the, the promotional stuff doesn't touch the core of what that person might be looking for in the moment. What problem do they have to solve, right? Is it, I need more discipline. I need anger management. I need more confidence. Um, I need to have, I, not, I need to not be throat punched because I'm an asshole. Um, I need to not be throat punched <laughs> because I live around a bunch of assholes, you know, whatever. Um, but that, I mean, it was a very cut and dry banner compared to what you'd see online today where, just about every Ninjutsu uh, website looks like a carbon copy of everything else. Um, I know the colors are different and the pictures are different and all that, but, you know, they're throwing names around and, and lineages and things like that that the average person, unless you have somebody who's specifically looking for that art, and now you're looking at probably one-tenth of one percent of everybody that could visit your website, right, you're going to be talking to, right? So uh, it's just it's very different. But anyway, I didn't mean to to cut you off, but you made a really good point there that, that that was the thing that was attractive, and it reached out and touched a 12-year-old. So if it communicates clearly with a 12-year-old, then an adult has to, doesn't have to read into it either. 
right? So it was simple, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, see? Sorry. <coughs> and now I have him in a pensive mood. I'm sorry, go back to your story. Just ignore, ignore everything I just said. Go back to your story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm not sure I remember where I was. Let's see. Um, oh, uh, it morphed into so much more. I think one of the reasons why the other dojos didn't really click with me is because it was too much of a McDojo situation. Hmm. Like, okay. they all looked the same. Like, they were different faces and, and stuff. But um, when I when I went into Chris's dojo, there was a there was an honest sense of concern. There was um, there was a more than just a brotherly camaraderie that you might see in other other martial arts dojos. There was a there was a more of a family atmosphere. There was okay. a um, I, I felt safe and I felt uh, like what I was learning was 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 going to help me do that when I wasn't there. Okay, if that if that makes any sense. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And how long did you how long did you train with Chris? Um, I was at his dojo. Let's see. There was the upstairs dojo, the downstairs dojo, the one down on Veteran Parkway. Um, he moved a couple of times. <laughs> uh, let's see. Three, four years. Four years, maybe. Okay. In okay. In, in consistent, constant training. Like uh, after that, I didn't. I was on and off as much as I could, but. Right, but then you were in like high school and college, right? Well, yeah, I uh, I went into the Navy straight out of high school, so that was pretty okay. much my high school career, and then uh, I was nowhere to be found, like close by. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I went straight from uh, high school to basic training to South Korea. So uh, oh, wow. while I was, yeah, so. Uh, it was it was difficult to get around. I I, I get that. So, uh, uh, what the hell's your name? Oh, Eric. Yeah, that's you. Um, so which part? Which part? You had a multifaceted question there. So. Um, yeah. So so that's kind of, you know kind of the the I see the the beginnings there. How how is it different now? Where, where where do you see your training at currently? Like, what draws you to it still? Um, what draws me to it? is um, <clears throat> we could go on so many different facets and so many different levels. Ninjutsu, Bujinkan, Buddha Taijutsu, whatever you want to call it, is is a true onion. Um, let's see. Uh, on the physical level, uh, everything is based upon, uh, I mean, if you go into one lineage, it's, it's based upon scientific physical parameters that the, that the body works in this way but does not work in this way and you keep your body working in this way and you might put your opponent's body in the other way and it just does not work. It like they, There's no amount of strength that they can bring to bear against you if you've got their body position in, in a certain place and you're in another place. Um, you could go a little bit, um, <clears throat> a little bit deeper and uh, I think in another lineage talks about how uh, you don't even have to do all that work. You just have to find the right place to hit, and all of a sudden they drop. Um, you could go even deeper, where um, the you know I've heard so many people say, and you know uh, the the uh, head guy of our system uh, has uh, uh, talked about many times where uh, 
you know, it's the heart that's the most important thing. Like a lot of people, a lot of other dojos don't do that. We we do that. We, uh, you know, the warrior philosopher mentality that um, creates a well-rounded individual is focused on in the Bujinkan. And that's one of the reasons why um, that keeps me going is that it's, for me, it has everything I need and it also fulfills other needs I didn't know I needed. Hmm. Without them trying to force feed you uh, those lessons. Not at all. Not at all. I'm eating it up every time. I, I I love it when we go deep, and I love it when we go wide as far as any type of training and, and uh, situation goes because so much can be glane, gleaned from all of it. There, there's there's life lessons. Like, I mean, you, you've put your whole dojo, Mr. Miller, you've put your whole dojo on how this can create a better life for anyone that's in it. And, hmm. you know, I, uh, I I like aligning myself with those situations. Those people. So uh, I, I, have sub, I, I have a sub question before you shift into this other thing because we're we keep heading toward uh, camp and maybe how his perspective is different now. But um, based on what you just said about the head and the heart being in it and, and all that stuff, what would you say to the people? And you know they exist because I know that you uh, you, you have to be following more than just me online, right? But what would you say to those okay. people in the in the art? who seem to have their primary focus on being a fighter, right? There's always a challenge, right? This guy's technique sucks. This guy's kaijutsu sucks. Come to my dojo. I'll kick your ass and show you why you're wrong, that kind of thing. What, what, would, you say to, what would you say to people like that? Or have you – maybe it's just me that's encountered them because so many people like and follow me or whatever. But um, what would you say to people like that based on your personal experience with the art? What would I say to people who um, have a need to prove themselves? To them, it's to them it's primarily physical. It's about the fighting skills. It's about it's about that side of warriorship that makes you just a trained killer. And they're constantly challenging people, if not just putting them down verbally, but they're sometimes they're open challenges. Right? Come to my dojo. I'll kick your mm-hmm. ass. I'll mm-hmm. show you why your stuff is wrong. What would you say to people like that? Other than, I mean, I know you would just leave them alone and let them, you know, well, run through their own suffering. Yeah. But if you had something to say, what would what would it be? Um, you know, yeah, aside from y'all have fun over there. Um, uh, <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> you do your thing, I do mine. I know what I'm. I mean, I, I've got nothing to prove to those guys. So, right, you know, right. uh, um, but uh, someone who. See if I'm understanding this right. Someone who would um, is basically forced in a confrontation. No, I'm talking about the people that um, they're, they're not told, they're not gleaning the lessons about head and heart that you were talking about, mm-hmm. and how that okay, you know yeah. is such a big part of the art um, from mm-hmm. the top down, right? I mean, Hatsumi says he's teaching us to be warrior philosophers, right? He's mm-hmm. really teaching yep. us to be jonians, not gaining operatives. That that's all you're going to do, right? So. What would you right. say to those people that have, have um, I don't know, they've, for the most part, cut people, that part out of their training? Um, I actually have, you're talking about like people already in the Bujinkan that really don't only yeah, see the one yeah. side. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, well, uh, if uh, I'd probably feel them out to see how much they like Stephen Hayes because, you know, he's hot or cold depending on who you talk to. Um, right. Uh, but there's a, there's a quote by him that uh, I, I – sometimes go to um that talks about how the um 
oh my gosh, it was, it was, I could see it in my eyes, my mind's eye, but it's done lost itself now. Um, that talks about how, oh, yes, he was talking with, Hatsumi uh, Sensei, um, the, you know, the guy that, that controls all of this. And one yeah. of the pieces of advice that the, our grandmaster gave him was that he, he, he asked him, he asked uh, the grandmaster, he says, so what, what are we training? Are we ginning? Are we joning? What are we doing here? And he says, historically, the headmaster, the head teacher would pass down everything that that head teacher knew. So, and, and they were all separated by family. Um, right. So the, what, what Hatsumi teaches is top level people. Um, right. The uh, and I, I I do get this uh, wrong on many occasions. I'm not, I'm not always sure which one it is, gaining or, or whatever Jonin. the top name is. Joning. Joning. Yeah. Um, yeah. We are. He says we are training and you are learning um, joning stuff. So you everyone here is learning to be a leader, not a follower, not a not a grunt. So right. if you really want to learn Bujinkan and you're not learning these leadership principles and these um, concepts that make your life a better, uh, uh, you know, more, uh, I don't want to say more success in life or whatnot, um, then, then, then really you're not following what you say you're following. And um, it's, 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 you know, if you just want to do the, the physical stuff, that's good and it's useful. Um, But like I said before, like, it is so the Bujikan is so well rounded. It's filling in holes that I didn't even know I had. So this guy over here that's not looking at his life honestly and saying uh, this is the only hole I want filled and this is all I want from the Bujikan is 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 diluting himself into thinking that that's all he needs. Well, I think that I think that again I'm, I'm going to go back to the. Um, we we seek things out whether we're going to the store to buy a part for the lawnmower or we're going to the grocery store you know to to shop for the week or whatever. Um, when we when we buy things or we buy into things or we join clubs or groups or whatever, we are first and foremost trying to solve a problem or gain something that we think that we're missing. So um, you know I I tend to be hands off with these folks. I'm not there to re-educate the masses. Because one, I think it's really, really difficult. But um, when when somebody kind of carves out a, a niche or something like that, right? Um, I, I just have to look at it from the perspective of this has to be serving them. There's something that they that there's something that they need, and this is serving that need, right? Um, yeah. They need yeah. to feel powerful, so therefore they lean toward that, and, and they need to feel powerful in certain areas of their lives. So they lean in that direction. Or, conversely, um, they could be afraid that they're not a certain type of thing, so they lean in that direction. Or they may feel like they have nothing else going on for them, and this is something that comes naturally to them. So, in a way, we could say that it's all they have. It's all they have left, right? Um, like somebody that doesn't believe that they can, I don't know, break out of their neighborhood or that they can't, they're not smart enough to be that thing they've always dreamed about being or whatever, right? Um, they'll, they'll double up or triple up on something that they're already good at um, in an attempt to make up for that, that lacking, right? They need to be 
they need to be an expert in some realm. So this is this is the I don't know the easiest path or whatever. There's lots of ways that people can go through it, and this is this is something that we we explore. Eric knows this. We explore this a lot in our Miko training, which uh, I just call mind uh, mind science, right? I mean, it's it's basically internally directed uh, uh, psychology, right? I mean, get in there and ferret things out, and you ask why a whole lot. But um, anyway, but you know that those people exist. Um, and, and like I said before, you know, you, you've been on a fair amount of my webinars. I, I don't know that I can say that you've been on all of them without going back and uh, and checking. But And I don't want to do that because I've been doing them for like eight or nine years. <laughs> um, yeah, probably not all of them. We have a few hours worth of uh, uh, audio and video training. Anyway, um, are, are there any others, uh, other folks that you're like following on a regular basis? And you have the name names if you if you don't want to or whatever. But what are are there other ones that you're exploring, and and um, what are the similarities and differences that you get from some of these other other people or um, uh, dojo or whatever that you are following? Um, <clears throat> let's see. I've got a couple of books from Kathim, and I, I look at his uh, uh, YouTube videos and and uh, philosophy there. I uh, the Tasmanian dojo. His name actually. Uh, uh, isn't coming oh, to mind Duncan. right now, but I, yeah. Duncan, yes, yeah, Duncan. Duncan, yeah. Um, I like I like the way he uh, uh, describes things. I think I actually bought one of his videos. Yeah, um, he trained in Japan personally for a long time. He lived there for yeah, a long yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, so like he's he's done a lot of things that um. Let's see. Um, uh, Akban, uh, Yossi, Yossi Sharif. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I really like him. Uh, let's see. And of course, you know, I've got a couple of things from Hayes and and uh, Bud. I had to, I got Bud's Gyokuru's, um video CD somewhere. Um, from way back. Yeah. Do you have his Warrior yeah. book? That's, yes. That's a cut, got, that's a pretty cut and dry punch right to the mm -hmm. heart kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I've got his, yeah. and I've got. Um, uh, Bud and gosh, they do uh, double seminars yeah, uh, together. Yeah, so again, yeah, Jack Hoban. Jack Hoban. Yeah, Hoban. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, he has a couple of really good books as well. Jack kind of mm -hmm. lucked out. I mean, I, I, you know, the the art as it was presented back in the extremely early eighties. I mean, like nineteen eighty eighty one is mm -hmm. when I got on board. Um, mm -hmm. The, the focus was to make sure that we were developing all three parts of ourselves. You know, I, I talk about the three aspects of the ninja. Um, they're actually outlined in Hatsumi Sensei's first book that was written in English, uh, uh, Ninja Through History, History and Tradition. Yep. Right, History and Tradition. Right. So those three aspects that I cover, that I go into a lot and reference a lot, um, they were a big part of our promotional kind of thing back then. I mean, not like advertising, but um, promotional requirements. Right, so it wasn't good enough that we could just duplicate techniques. Um, the teacher had to see that we were becoming uh, a better, more well-rounded person. We had to understand the history and philosophy and and those kind of things. Um, so you know, and you can see that in uh, in uh, Jack Hoban's books, uh, specifically the one "Living and Thinking as a Warrior." Um, in Bud's Warriorship book, obviously, uh, and you know what? Back in uh, with the early to mid-80s, I had hosted him for a seminar in what was then West Germany, 
And we get on the subject. We were, we were, it was uh, after training one day, and we were sitting over dinner, and we were talking about these things. And um, I actually, I think we were telling jokes because that's Bud's main claim to fame. He just freaking tells jokes that'll make you fall out of your chair, spit up your food, all kinds of stuff, right? And so I said, you know, I, it, I haven't seen a book from you, but I just have this feeling that if you ever wrote a book, it, it would be just a compilation of all the all the uh, jokes you've picked up in seminars, um, you know, around since you started. And he said, no, Jeff, if I ever write a book, it's going to be on philosophy because I think it's the one it's the, one of the most underappreciated parts of our art. And while Steve covers it and Hatsumisete covers it, um, most people are in this for a martial art replacement for karate. And they so don't get the depth and importance of this stuff. And it's the one thing that people need way more than they need to be able to kick ass. And yeah. he said that way back in the mid-'80s. And I don't think Warriorship came out until the mid to late-'90s. So, um, yeah, and I mean, nobody would ever doubt that, that knows him would ever doubt that Bud Malmstrom is not a kick-ass, take-names kind of person. But there's this, there's this focus on... You know, as you well know, because you train with Chris, you train with one of his students. The focus is on, you know, don't forget the the philosophy, don't forget the the, the important life lessons, right? Um, there was something that had to make the ninja strong in such an oppressive militaristic society, where they were, by and large, outcasts, right? So, um, how do you not be a victim? How do you thrive? How do you own land and castles and all that kind of stuff? And um, you know, be able to do what you do in in a time when if the leader doesn't like it, he'll just stick his entire army on your villages, right? So um, there's a lot more to this than. And yet, one of the biggest things that I I hear on a regular basis, I remember going to to uh, somebody. Um, he's passed away now, but I remember going to somebody's seminar one time. And uh, now this is after decades, right, of training in the Hayes camp and training with Hakumi Sensei and the senior teachers in Japan and Bud and Jack and all that. And I go to this seminar, and I'm just kind of milling around before training started, and I was literally floored by the amount of negative self-talk and negative uh, just BS that was going on. I sounded like I was at the local bar except that they weren't drinking, right? I mean – it was like I was at a victim's convention, and they were they were there tra to train in ninja too. And it was just, mm -hmm. it was the most that was so that ran so contrary to what attract not just what attracted me to the art, but what was being taught early on. Um, you know that just separated this from I mean that you know back in the early eighties, what what today what people today would say that old school stuff, right, was was heavy on the philosophical base and a lot of history lessons, right, to understand why this developed and, and how it came about and how we would apply that today. Not that I teach like that, right? But the, the self-defense stuff was more of what we might associate with, like, I don't know, wilderness survival preppers and stuff like that. I mean, we did, you know, we did, we did yeah. self-defense stuff, but it would be like a hybrid self-defense wilderness survival prepper kind of class as opposed to the way it looks most of the time now, where it's either like all out, do whatever variations you want, or it's on the other extreme where it's so kata-based that, um, you know, there, there's no time for 
discussing history or philosophy or how to make your life better or, you know, um, I don't know how many teachers are out there that uh, would address people like I got from Bud one time when I fell into that negative self-talk and he told me in no uncertain terms that, you know, you need, you need to make a choice because as a warrior, warriors make decisions, right? Warriors um, figure things out. But in any given situation, right, you have three options when it comes to having a problem. You can either change it, you can accept it, you know, do something that will allow you to accept it. Not like accept it like, well, you know, I've got no other choice and not that kind of thing. Realign your your perspective so that it's acceptable and it's going to work for you. It's going to serve you. Or get away from it. Those are your three options. And those will all serve you and produce positive results. If you are complaining about it, bitching about it, whatever, and not doing anything to do one of those other three things, then you are in a constant loop of, of convincing yourself and the universe that you are truly a victim. So why are you associated with a martial and life mastery system that um, makes survivors when you're not willing to talk and carry yourself and think and solve problems like a survivor? Not somebody who's just enduring because you have no choice, but somebody who will proactively get in there and change their life situation. And again, you have three choices. Change it, change your perspective so that you can can operate with it and it serves you, or change your location relative to it, you know, get away from it. Otherwise, you're just, you're just reminding yourself that you're a victim. So um, I consider myself extremely lucky that I didn't just – you know, get involved on the martial side because any martial art can easily replace what we're doing if that's the goal. And I didn't mean to mm-hmm. cut Eric out of this when you and I have been chatting back and forth. Eric, do you have anything to throw on top of this? Uh, no, I, I I totally kind of agree with that. And, and, you know, I think it's something that comes up constantly too that you have to work on, I don't know, at least in my own personal life as, as well, that, uh, you know, you don't you don't battle that kind of uh, negative thing once and get past it. That it's uh, you know you constantly run up against that and then need to make those choices to continue to move forward. Um, you know, and I think this kind of training helps that become uh, easier to do. Yeah, I just, I just wonder how many people have gotten some of those important core lessons, like the training should be tougher than life. Because if you're preparing to survive, you know, hardships, why would your training not be tougher than the hardship? That'd be like, you know, when you and I went to boot camp, Lee, um, when we were there, and the drill sergeants would have treated us with kit gloves, knowing that there's going to be explosions and gunfire and people yelling and screaming and all that in a combat situation, and that's ultimately what they're preparing us to be able to, to handle and function well in. Right? Um, how would we have been served if basic training or boot camp, in your case, would have been less than what it was? You know? Right. But people avoid that stuff all the time, right? They want soft training. They want, you know, um, I, I saw a sign one time. Now, it wasn't a Bujikon school. It was actually a local Taekwondo school. Um, 
we had done a demonstration at a mall, and there was some hitting, right? But the first lessons you learn are break falls and how to receive a punch so that you're not hurt, right? So we can actually train. Not tough guy training, just train. We didn't think it was tough guy training anyway. Um, and the very next week, this Taekwondo school, who had the, one of those big, uh, you know, uh, rectangular yellow lit signs, you know, the ones where they can replace the letters and spell things out and all that? Yeah. They had this sign Marquee. out in front of their dojo. Yeah, there you go. They had this thing out in front of their dojo, and the very next week, the sign said, you can learn self-defense without getting bruised. That was their, that was their claim to fame, right? One they round. And, and most of the people <clears throat> that drove by the place probably never saw our demo, so didn't know who we were. So it was the most arcane message, but it was directed at us, and only we knew it, and we just chuckled because um, I don't believe that you can learn how to survive hardship. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, we take people out for a level one survival, wilderness survival thing, and we're all there. We only go out for a day or, you know, we'll, then everybody will go home, then the next day we go back out. And so we're working on basics, right? Here's how to make a debris shelter. Here's how to use these two methods to start a fire. Here are these three fire-building structures, and they're for these three separate purposes. Here's one or two ways to collect water, that kind of thing. We'll take them out another time until they get all nine of the basic skills that we want them to have. And then level two, um, we start taking things from them, right? We'll do an overnight, right? So you're going to build a debris shelter, but, oh, by the way, you're going to sleep in that debris shelter, and Sensei's going to whip up some Ninja Kuji magic to try to get it to frickin' rain so that we can test your debris shelter, right? So there's all these things, right? Until eventually we do a weekend where it includes hiking and all that kind of stuff. People show up with stuff in their backpacks. We open up their backpacks and take half their supplies from them. So they're going to have to either pull the resources together or whatever, right? So, um, you know, if we're just going out and camping, you know, and bullshitting and toasting uh, marshmallows over the fire, um, that's not preparing for survival. That's camping while doing some fun stuff. And eventually, you know, I mean, the longer you do it, it does become fun. It becomes very relaxing and, you know, but at the same time, I can start a fire very, very quickly. And it doesn't matter if I'm using a chemical method, if I'm using battery and wire. It doesn't matter if I'm using a, a magnifying lens or if I'm using flint and steel. Um, the last time we did one, guys were, were rubbing their fingers raw trying to use one of those little fire starter kits that throw sparks. And they just couldn't get these things to go. And I'd walk over, and within two or three strikes, they'd have this roaring fire. And they're looking at me like I'm like this magical wizard that must be throwing something out of his fingertips or something. And I, I just have to remind them, no, it's, you know, not just learning it, but it's constant practice until I can get to that point where I can do that thing all the time, that I don't have to remember what it is. I don't have to try again. It doesn't take me half a, half a day to get a fire started. I don't need matches, whatever. Whatever I have, um, one of the things we used to use, uh, we used to um, have as an analogy way back in the day when it came to this, this kind of person we were trying to develop was we used the James Bond and MacGyver uh, analogy that while you have skills and you have things, you don't deny, you know, if you have a, have a key, you don't get to pull out a lock-picking set to open a door. You use the key, right? But um, it, was just, it was the ability to look around and be able to produce a solution based on what was at hand because that's what you, that, that was the goal you were looking for, 
right? It wasn't memorizing kata. It wasn't just learning one or two ways to do things. It was, you know, how many different ways can I learn to start a fire? How many different fire building structures can I learn because there's going to be different conditions that I may be in, right? The fuel may be wet. I may have very little of it, whatever, right? So um, I I think our self-defense training needs to be the same same way. And, see, we considered that self-defense training as well, right, because we we – factored in, it might not be a guy trying to punch you in the throat. It might be a dog trying to bite you. It might be, you know, at, you know, one of the things we talked about, and I ended up experiencing it decades later, was your car going off a roadway and rolling down a hill. Um, you know, it, it could be you're on a plane that goes down and you don't die, right? But nobody knows, right? So you've got to hold out until they get there or until you can get out, uh, whatever, right? So um, it's, it's about putting this stuff in context for your life, but then we're back to you have to have a life of more than just sitting around on your ass uh, and eating, sleeping, shitting, going to work, and coming back home and doing it all over again, right? So, anyway. All right, Eric, you're back on again. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, and, um, day, huh? Yeah, Absolutely. I was going to ask as well of, of you, Lee, um, you know, you, you you made a commitment of time, the distance, uh, the financial cost to do it. What drew you to make the trip to camp this past weekend? What were you thinking? Um, <laughs> Are you nuts? No. <laughs> most people, most no. people travel 15 minutes to go to class. You drove freaking 18 hours. What is wrong with you? Well, okay, so for four years, my dojo was an hour's drive away, one direction. There you go. So, number one, uh, distance is, you know, fairly important because, you know, I'm not going to Germany like I could. But, um, you know. No offense to my German listeners. I'm not. I'm just, it it just popped up in my brain probably because I heard it a few minutes ago. Um, Sure. (laughs) But uh, just. I had made the, like uh, Mr. Miller was talking about, we had been talking for, you know, years online, and I've been coming to, you know, coming to, you know, participating in, uh, you know, audio training sessions and things like that, and I just, I don't know, I promised myself that I would do it one day, some years back, and uh, decided to do it. So, I mean, there's your there's your success in life. If you want to do something, do it. Um, mm-hmm. It may take a while for me <laughs> to get it done, but... Get her done. Get her done. <laughs> oh, I never thought I'd hear um, Larry the Cable Guy cross over into Ninja Two. Fantastic. <laughs> Thanks, Lee. Appreciate it. <laughs> well, and kind of, and and they were right. The back. will rise again. <laughs> Touching back a little bit on on your question there for Lee, uh, you know, pertaining to folks who just look, you know, really dive deep into just the the physical aspect of training or, you know, uh, come to my dojo, I'll kick your ass and tell you what I'm doing wrong and and what what you might tell them or say to them about this. And one of the things that popped up uh, when you asked that question, uh, my thought was, well, how many times a, a, a day are you attacked or jumped? physically where you're putting these things into into effect mm-hmm. but uh and and the answer is most likely well uh you know never hardly ever um 
but you know, my follow-up to that would be, well, how many times a day are is is your head or heart attacked either by mm-hmm. arguments with family or uh, you know, Don't folks suspect. at work trying to impose or manipulate using their personality and. There's so many of those non-physical kind of attacks and things that come on a daily basis that, you know. The, How about your own self-talk every time you think yeah. about a goal that you want to achieve and you hear yourself shooting yourself in the foot? I mean, yes. I think that happens. I think the closer the, to the individual you get, the closer to me I get, the more debilitating the attack is. And I'm not punching myself in the throat. Right, but we're worried about defending against somebody else, removing us from the world, or preventing us from doing something or whatever. And it's the face in the mirror that stops you way more often. Family's next, friends are after that, coworkers are after that, and then it's whoever the hell else bumps into you in the world. Right? So yeah. um, it's just—I think that's a really good point. That's 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 huge. So. There is also uh, – we do have a question here from Christopher. Uh, I don't know if we have any more well, questions well, before we get for to Lee. Chris, but um, before, we get to, before we get to that, uh, you had – there was one more layer to your question to Lee. Yeah. Um, and I, so I'll just toss it out there just to, to finish this up. And that was um, going back to the evolution of, you know, you started at 12 and you, things changed along the way or whatever. Um, what, if anything, may or may not have changed – uh, maybe it just validated your your training or whatever, but what might be different since Saturday? Mm. Say that one more time. Yes. Based on, what, you what, know, we were talking about the evolution of your training and all that kind of stuff, right? So yeah, what yeah. what's changed, if anything, since your experience on Saturday? First of all, was the 18 oh, hours how- worth the drive? How have I grown? Well, I've uh, <clears throat> I've learned that the uh, human body can withstand some endurance driving. Um, but <laughs> well, you're welcome. Other than that, <laughs> yes, sir. Thank you. Uh, other than that, um, we went uh, we went pretty deep, and that's actually kind of what I was looking for uh, in 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 some of our, in their, our trainings. Um, you know, uh, certain things that. Uh, y- Concepts are tied to words a lot often. You know, you get military acronyms like FUBAR and things like that, and you understand if you know what the meaning is. Um, So this thing like, uh, what was it, Uh, fist confidence, and then we moved it to body confidence, which really is just Kamei. Right. And and, and how that, how you know, that one term right there got me to thinking how, okay, wow, confidence, really. How does that apply to you know, go into my body, getting, you know, talking about how my, how my Kamei is, how my Jumanji is, how, uh, Jumanji, Jumanji. Um, you butcher English, man. Just keep going with the Japanese. I know. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Return to the jungle. That's fine. Uh, That's fine. All right. Um, and, uh, uh, just, and then you can, you know, of course, in, in, in true, uh, I guess in true Ninpo fashion, um, I'll say that. Uh, uh, you know, how do you apply spirit confidence? How do you apply uh, job confidence? How do you uh, how do you work with relationship confidence? Um, and so I, I just you know when you said that, and I know it's it's a it's a basic small physical thing to say you know fist confidence. You got to align the fist just right. Your knuckles got to be in the right place. Your thumbs got to be in the right place. 
you know, the arm arm alignment, shoulder alignment, it, and then, you know, everything else alignment. So as far as uh, just picking one thing out of the uh, out of the plethora of training we got, oh, my gosh. Like I'm looking at the papers right now, and I've got that, our little uh, – a little page where we were started drawing men and things with the circles. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I mean, that, that right there. Uh, that was 30 seconds of me drawing a couple of diagrams for you. <laughs> right, right. Um, like for the, yeah, yeah, it's that. It's the, uh, where, where you did the uh, yin-yang or the in, uh, inyo. Right. Um, but uh, looking specifically at the uh, the one where it had the arm pendulum, and we were doing going up in uh, Ote, and instead of following the pendulum, going straight up, right? You know, and that was that's a situation where, um, in other trainings, you would be like, you wouldn't do that because you know you're moving the other person's body around, and that's that would cause bruises and stuff, and we don't do that here. So, um, sure we do. Yeah, <laughs> we we do that here, but I'm and, just like, and, uh, and you, and I'm referencing yeah, and you'll stop Again? bruising as much if you you'll stop bruising as much if you just get hit more often. Your right. body conditions itself. So right, someone uh, someone like, once asked yeah. me about how uh, uh, what what is ninjutsu iron body, and I said come to training. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you that's know. Funny. So uh, can you tell everybody about how long it took for you to to fill the notebook you brought for class? Because we weren't that far in when you said, "Oh my God, I'm going to run out of paper." Um. Well. <laughs> Probably just before halfway in that one day, and okay. I needed, uh, so just I needed before lunch. Paper. Yeah, just, just before, before lunch. lunch. And then yeah. I had to force feed a, a notebook because you thought you were gonna what memorize yep. everything else? No, it just it, it I don't know. Just yeah. Thank you. I still have it. Still work. Still using it. Still pulling it up. If your teacher offers you something, you say yes and thank you. You can think bad things about it later when you walk away. Yeah, I know. I get it. We we pride (laughs) ourselves in being self-sufficient, except that you didn't bring enough paper for what was being taught. Clearly. Yep. Clearly. clearly. I've already used it. It's a new one. Say again? Clearly. I said, yeah, no, I I was just laughing because you said clearly. (laughs) You're you're right. Yeah, I've already refilled it with another (laughs) notepad. There you go. Excellent. Excellent. Looks like you should have done it in the first place. That's just me and my lack of preparation. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. Uh, so, uh, Eric, you said we had um, yeah, we had something from Chris. Yeah, we just we just have a few minutes left, so I'd like to get to this yeah, yeah. Uh, question from Christopher, who you know he, he, yeah. it's kind of a two part question. Uh, you know, he he writes about um, you know missing the the camp, but you know was wondering if it would if the stealth and invisibility training covered over the weekend would be gone over. And it sounds like from from the beginning, uh, you mentioned about kind of doing some reshoots on the video for for that. So if he can. He's, he's, I believe, one of your local students at Sunbury, so he can make it maybe to that session and try to yeah, try think, to get what he missed. I think all the stealth stuff was on Sunday. Um, I mean, we, we worked some of the stuff in a little bit on mm-hmm. uh, Saturday, but I think that was more of a discussion about it. Um, I think primarily that stuff was on Sunday because I broke out this bin of uh, Mitsubishi uh, blinding powder that I had made uh, quite a while ago and allow people to experience it just from lifting the lid off. Uh, you remember a bunch of years ago when we did the actually fill, actual filling of eggs and mm-hmm. stuff like that. We didn't do that this time. I taught them how to do it. 
and talked about some other delivery methods and devices that the Ninja used and kind of dispelled the the, um, the myth of, like, throwing it all because that's what they see in the magazines or the videos for the camera. Um, but uh, they got a chance to go outside a little bit and, and toss some, and um, everybody was just trying to run around and stay downwind of this stuff because even if they toss a little bit, it just immediately went to the eyes and the nose and, and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, so they got a chance to experience that. But I think all the footwork and, and those kind of things, uh, I think that was on Sunday. So that is actually on video at the moment. Um, okay. But if it's Chris and it's my guy, then uh, no, I'm going to purposely not teach him anything. <laughs> <laughs> and then he, he his second part really kind of goes on to to ask, and I think it's a good question, and, and perhaps Lee can weigh in on this as, as he kind of does yeah. some training uh, on his own. But um, he says he's been, uh, you know, at home trying to practice locks and throws and can't find volunteers, so he, he likes to kind of shadow the moves. And But he's asking, how do, you, how do you know if you're really performing a technique correct or not? You know, if you're doing this solo, don't have a partner. Um, well, first stage is, uh, are you moving from and through your kamai? And two, uh, well, we'll add a second one there. Are you moving from and through your kamai? When I say through your kamai, um, you can identify pieces of sanshin movement as you go. And the big one is you're not falling off balance, mm-hmm. right? So that's that's the first thing because you can learn all that stuff and you can you can develop a sense of Lee used this earlier body confidence where your balance is right, your movement is is good, you're not losing your balance, you're not tripping. You're not bending over, those kind of things, right? Um, and then what partner practice is for is fine-tuning it because, you know, uh, solo, you didn't have, especially if you're doing it by yourself from the start, you don't have uh, a person to gauge it with. So you don't know how far, uh, more or less, that you need to be shifting when you go off angle or when you're trying to catch something or whatever. So that's when... Um, that's when the, the other person comes in because now we're looking at disrupting uh, his physical alignment. We're looking at not only breaking somebody's balance, right, but we're looking at um, tactically experiencing what it feels like when their balance actually breaks as opposed to what it feels like when we're exerting force to break it, right? When their balance actually breaks, it almost feels like we lost them, right, uh, because we're not used to that, right? And then we can fine-tune it and get it down to knowing exactly where we need to go to carry them off their feet, you know, that kind of thing, right? Um, but, uh, see, that's just that's completely opposite of the way most people train, especially the ones that go to dojo. They don't train a whole lot. Uh, they don't do any solo practice between classes because they can go to class. But way back in the day when there were only two or three instructors in this country, 98% of us were solo practitioners, right? And we went to seminars every couple of months or whatever to learn something, and then we'd go home, and in between training partners, we'd have nothing but what looked like Tai Chi practice, right? Because you have to wire it into muscle memory, right? You have to get the basic movements down that when you think about doing Mushabori, you don't have to think about what foot moves, which, how does your arm go, that kind of thing. 
Um, and then when you're working with a partner, what you're developing is a sense of of knowing, not just see. In, in one context, when you're doing solo training, you're feeling your body, right? And you're experiencing yourself moving. When you're working with a partner, you're you're experiencing resistance. You're experiencing, and that's even if they're not pushing back, right? Because now you have to move your body and somebody else's body, right? You're you're experiencing resistance, and you're experiencing the tactile experience or or feel of how much is too much, how little is too little, right? I call it the uh, the three bears approach to training, right? You're looking for baby bear stuff. You're looking for that just right stuff, okay? And um, I, I think that, I don't know, was that a first uh, during camp? I don't I, I thought I just threw it out recently. But anyway, um, yeah, so how do you know? When you're working by yourself, it's it's in how you're moving in the field. Once you've trained with other people, like Eric was around for a long time. He's now out in California, but when he does solo training, he can either keep his eyes open or closed, and he can visualize a training partner punching him or grabbing him or whatever, and he knows where the body parts are on the other person. So he can visualize going after that thing. He's not just independently moving around trying to do the move, and that's something else you can do, right? I mean, if you're, if you're naturally intuitive, you can visualize somebody grabbing you, right? We all know where somebody's elbow is about, right? And when they're grabbing us, depending on what the grab is and what we're doing, we know where the different parts of the body are, right? So you're going to get really, really close with your body movement if you can add visualization in. That way when you get with a person and it really is just fine-tuning, you'll know just how much or little you're off. And the goal is to get to a point where you just you feel it, right, when they, when they grab or when they're punching or whatever. You feel space. You feel their intention. You, it, it just becomes it, it becomes so much more than just a physical step-by-step kind of thing, right? Um, it's kind of like when you uh, – Chris should be able to understand this. Everybody should be able to understand this. It, it's the difference between hugging your child or your significant other and they love you and it's a feeling – you know, there's there's something that's passing between the two of you or something that's created as a result of the hug. And hugging somebody because you're a hugger and, you know, it's not it's just not there. Or that significant other is not happy with you at the moment. So they're trying to hide it and they give you a hug, but that, that it is missing. I don't know if that was helpful or not, but and I know I have a tendency yeah. to go into the woo-woo realms, but it's really difficult to get up and around fifth on and higher without being in touch with that stuff because, I mean, like you can do it depending on how somebody promotes with rank, but if you're really going to get into those levels of training where we're talking about intuitive stuff and we're entering the realms of Kuji and all that, um, yeah, you can't do it without having that connection and bond and understanding. You're going to leave technique behind. You know, I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to stop talking now. Um, Lee, you've been a solo, solo student for a long time. Do you have anything to talk on top of that? Um, sure. Uh, it actually was mirroring kind of what you were saying is the visualization. Uh, a long time ago when I was in high school and I was in training, um, I would get up. This is this is odd. And I, I know I'm odd. I'm just like, you got a better idea now. But, um, yeah, I would go to sleep. 
I would volunteer myself to go to sleep at 6 o'clock in the afternoon. And then I would wake up at probably 4 in the morning and go out to the uh, bus stop. And we had lived in a rural area, so it was just me. And I would do the trainings that I would uh, had learned the night before. <laughs> and um, then, and I would do that. I yep. mean, there's no way you can do uh, any type of solo training. There's no way you can do any type of meaningful training without some form, whether artificially presented in your mind or an actual person, uh, because it is it is very responsive. Um, yeah. So yeah, did just uh, just a lot of visualization and uh, and. And that stuff. So, crazy. and we're talking about the self-defense training. I I I used to publish a, a newsletter. The first newsletter I ever published was called Hanya, H-A-N-N-Y-A. And Hanya is the Japanese word uh, or Japanese pronunciation of the Sanskrit word prajna, which means the insight necessary for the attainment of enlightenment. Okay, so it was really about. I mean, it was kind of the 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 precursor to Kuden, but it was about the same thing, right? These little insights and aha moments. So I would write these articles and, and all that kind of stuff, and I still have a bunch of them in hard copy. Um, I just, I don't know, I, I, I need somebody to scan them and do an OCR thing and all that, so that because I don't have the digital stuff anymore. But anyway, one of the articles that I had written, and I think, it, I don't think it was just a one-part thing, I think it was a two-part thing, but it was written to my solo students who, um, who would come in for seminars and all that. Some would come in from Canada. Some would come in from New York, whatever. And they would always lament not having any training partners. And I get that, right? And while, you know, and, and Lee mentioned this early on, right, that this is not just limited to physical self-defense against human beings. There are all these other things that we could be working on. And I think in this article or between these two articles, I gave solo students at about 50 different things that you could work on as a solo student that did not require a partner. And that was, I wrote that when I was, uh, I don't know, maybe close to Shodan. So that was 12 ranks ago and a bunch of years, and we're not going to discuss the years. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anybody that laments not having uh, enough to work on as a solo student, um, is either either has such a narrow focus on the art or has not been exposed to enough of the art, okay? In one case, it's the student's fault because of the narrow vision, the, the chosen narrow vision. In another case, it's the teacher's fault because they their narrow vision or narrow perspective is limiting their students' uh, progress in, in what we're doing. Okay. So, hmm. uh, and that's my that's my fudo moment moment for the day. <laughs> I think it was, I think it was fairly nice. That was very nice. Oh, dude. Right? that was way nice. I, I didn't like call it. anybody a dick and say come to my dojo. I'll kick your ass because I'm not going to do that. Um, <laughs> if you come to my dojo with the intention of kicking my ass, um, I've got plenty of weapons hidden around the dojo that are not on the weapons rack. Right. Um, <laughs> I, I, I wonder how many dojo have uh, – Eric, you know we have this thing. We have a dojo invaders um, procedure at the dojo. So if somebody steps in because they want to step up and cause problems, um, we have we have, we have a um, uh, procedure where somebody guards the door, somebody calls 911, somebody guards the weapons rack, 
right, and somebody engages with this person with the initial attempt to get him to leave. Um, and the reason why the weapons rack is being guarded isn't necessarily to keep them from getting to the weapons, but to make sure somebody can hand me one if things need um, – how did Bud describe this years ago? If things get really interesting and it's going to go to a new level. <laughs> so um, it's my dojo and it's my town. Um, if I lose, it's not going to look good, but I still have to be concerned about legal liability and all kinds of crap, which, again, there's a whole other area that I don't think that people involved in martial arts or self-defense give enough credence to, uh, which is why the six phases of uh, effective self-defense strategy that, that uh, Stephen Hayes had come up with and when I was a part of that group, and, you know, phase six was physically dealing with the, with the problem. Um, when I struck out on my own, I immediately added two more phases. I added PTSD recovery because people have no idea how traumatizing a situation, a situation like that can be, um, no matter how much experience you have, right, unless you're just a flat-out cold sociopath, right? So phase seven, that PTSD recovery, um, I call it the second battle, right? It's all based on the same self-defense situation, but now it's a different attacker. It's your system backfiring on you. So you need to be able to deal with that, and you need to prep for it long before a situation ever happens. So what kind of things can you put in place for self-support and recovery? And then phase eight is dealing with the legal system that's supposed to protect you, but if you end up with overzealous police, uh, a district attorney, whatever, um, or you miscommunicate how you defended yourself and you come across sounding like a vigilante or just, you know, somebody who's been training for years and you couldn't wait until some jackass stepped up so you could teach him a lesson, you're going to jail, right? Yeah. And we often call that the third battle. Um, so when we're looking at a self-defense situation happening, right, um, you know, the, the first one that everybody prepares for is great. But there's two more that are going to happen in the wake of either successfully dealing with it or not successfully dealing with it. If you're not successfully, if you don't successfully deal with it, you may have to deal with those things. But from a from a loser's perspective, right? So how much is that going to take of your time and rehashing and all that, right? How has your family been affected and everything? If you don't fare out in the worst possible way, and your family has to look good in black then you don't have to worry about phases seven and eight, but they do, right? So um, I think a lot of these tough guys, um, they don't give enough credence to that, or ego likes to blow it off and go, well, you know, if I lose, well, then, you know, that's just part of being a warrior. Kiss my ass, right? (laughs) You can't protect your family if you're not in the world, right? So, you know, that that whole, I'd rather be uh, tried by 12 than carried by six. Really? Seriously? Because if you're in prison, I had one guy one time, he just, everything that came out of his mouth was, nobody's touching my wife, I'll kill him. Nobody's touching my wife, I'll kill him. Okay, and then you go to jail. Who's going to protect your wife then? So. Yeah, you can protect your wife you know, once. <laughs> that's that mentality. That's right. We, we need to have a bigger, broader perspective and see this like puzzle pieces. Okay, we need to, we need to, that's why I, I use certain terms like um, operating from a a position of being a commander, right? You're responsible for the decisions that you make, but also the outcomes. So this goes back to karma, 
Good decisions produce, based on your assessment of the situation, and proper assessment produce positive outcomes. Incorrect assessment, based on an incorrect perception of what's going on, produce negative outcomes. So while people think the commander just gets to boss everybody else around, the commander has a lot of responsibility, right? You screw this up, people die, right? So we talk about that kind of mindset. We talk about being the tactician or the logistician, right? You're using logistics and you're using tactics, not just techniques. It's like looking, surveying the battlefield and determining the best way in, right? And then we look at uh, expression and how you're communicating things, not just, uh, you know, punching the guy in the throat or whatever, but how are you presenting yourself to uh, possibly mitigate damage? How are you presenting yourself in a way uh, that controls his perceptions, which will go a long way in controlling his thoughts, his plans, his actions, all that stuff, right? Um, there's all these different archetypes that I use um, because they're all part of us. But they were, a lot of them require training to bring forward and either shine up and make, make it so they operate better or to bring up dust off, you know, replace a table leg here or there because we just let it fall into so much disuse or never believed that we had it, right, to be able to get these things to function because uh, fights are very chaotic. Our attack situations are very chaotic, as are most problems. They're not usually very linear, right? So which of these archetypes do we need to lead with? Which one, uh, you know, uh, is necessary for the moment? You know, that kind of thing. So anyway, um, so anything else there from Chris besides the the solo training? And, again, see, this is stuff no. that people can do with solo training. They can think yeah. about it. They can read read books on leadership, read books on on tactics and strategy, uh, strategic thinking, right? If, if you can't, if you don't know where to look, may I suggest going to your military strategy section in your bookstore and reading things by Sun Tzu, uh, Douglas MacArthur, Admiral Nimitz, people that were, they were in that position and they were highly successful at it, right? So why would you try to learn from people that just have a bunch of ideas as opposed to learning from people that, were very, very good at their craft, yeah. right? Very successful. And there's there's historical proven record that they were successful, right? Read stuff by Napoleon, right? Did you know that Napoleon followed the principles of the art of war, Sun Tzu's art of war, hmm. and won every one of his battles except Waterloo? At Waterloo, he deviated from the principles and lost. Did you ah, know that? That's awesome. Hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, cool stuff, right? Yeah. So, anyway, how okay. do I know that stuff? A ninja geek, I guess. As soon as they made a reference at some point and said I should read something, well, he told the whole crowd that we should read something, and I was the idiot that went, okay, <laughs> and went for it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Excellent. All right. Well, Lee, I appreciate you being on the call. I really, really do. Thanks for sacrificing yeah. your body to the cause on uh, Saturday. Hopefully you didn't uh, end up with too many bruises. Um, he knows that the goal on Saturday was to back down the energy as much as possible without going to dead energy and ending up producing the same or more outcome. And as soon as you made a switch, 
from, you know, adding one little piece of the pie, right, one little piece of the puzzle in there, your arm went from being knocked away a little bit because it was hit to, like, flying away. And nothing changed about speed or timing or force or intention. Uh, there were just little details that we that we worked on. So, um, anyway, hopefully you weren't too uh, too battered. <laughs> no, of course not. Okay, fair enough. Nope. And I hope that I uh, hope we'll see you again soon. Yes. Awesome. <coughs> All right, sorry, Mr. White. Yeah. Excellent. Mr. Yeah. White. Well, again, uh, yeah, thank you, uh, Lee, kind of for the for the background and the the bit of camp follow up there, and certainly uh, look forward to next week's call. And if you have uh, any questions uh, or comments, you can certainly make those through our Kuden page, uh, as well as uh, the online site. Yeah, sure. ModernNinjaWarrior.com, right? Forward slash Kuden dash podcast dash episodes. Although somebody was having some glitches last week, hopefully we got it fixed. That when they clicked on the individual episodes, um, it, they went to a blank page. But if you have a problem with that kind of thing, one, let us know. But two, don't forget, we're on iTunes, we're on Google Play, we're on TuneIn, we're on Stitcher Radio. I mean, um, we're we're like out there, man. We're like you know <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know that we're everywhere, but we're looking over your shoulder, dude. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, no, I just checked the site, and uh, they currently are are uh, are working. So uh, fantastic. They're, they're All right, work, we are so. good to go. Awesome. Excellent. All right. Well, until uh, until next week, everybody stay safe and join us on yep. the next episode of Kuden. Thank you for listening to KUDEN, the podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. For more information on upcoming martial arts seminars, camps, and classes with Sheehan Miller, or to submit a question or discussion topic to the show, call 570-884-1118 or visit warrior-concepts-online.com.